Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. Oh, it's always that slow response, right? It's like first thing, it's not even first thing in the morning, it's 11 o'clock. Good morning. Awesome, great. It's great to be together. Um, thank you to Chad and the worship team uh, for leading us, for Grace for leading us in prayer. Uh, just thinking that oldie but goodie that we did, some of you may not be familiar with it. The phrase I use is so old it's new, right? Um, <clears throat> just sensing a bit of celebration in our worship was fantastic this morning. Uh, I know sometimes we, we, we kind of are a little more con- contemplative in our worship, but when I read the Old Testament stories of worship, I always see a celebration and, and food and rejoicing. And, and I think that's something we could, I know for me myself, I need to capture a little bit more of that celebratory uh, attitude, mindset and practice when it comes to worship. And I, and I hope we, uh, we will do a little bit more of that as well. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Cal. I'm part of the staff team here. Uh, and it's great to have you here this morning. It's great to, for those who are watching us online uh, to, uh, to join us. Thank you for making us a part of your worship day. Um, Last week, Pastor Layton introduced our new sermon series to kick off 2022, and we've titled it The Invisible War. Now, whether we believe it or not, whether we know it or not, or even whether we acknowledge it or not, there is a battle going on all around us. It's a battle that's happening right here, right now, in you and around us here, right here in this worship center. However, It's not a battle that we necessarily see with our physical eyes. It's not an enemy that we can touch or we can feel. It's not a battle for physical territory or land, nor is it a battle between human armies or human commanders for rule and control. No, the the stakes in this invisible war are much, much higher than that. This war, this invisible war, is a battle first and foremost for each of our souls and for our eternal destiny. It's a battle that determines whether we will spend our eternity in heaven in the presence of God or apart from God in what the Bible describes as hell. But not only is it a battle for eternity, somewhere later, some time later, it's a battle for life in the here and the now. It's a battle that affects each and every one of us right here today. It's a battle that determines whether we will live in joy and fullness and abundance with peace and hope and assurance that comes from knowing and living in the fullness of Christ or whether we live in fear and shame and guilt and anxiety and worry, uncertainty, brokenness and destructiveness. As was mentioned before, it's a battle that's aimed at each one of you. It's a battle that's aimed at those you love. It's a battle against our marriages, between husbands and wives. It's a battle between parents and children. It's a battle between relationships of every kind. It's also a battle for our faith and who we will trust and submit ourselves to. But here's the thing. 
Too often we believe that this fight is primarily against each other, against one another in whatever relationship context you may have in your mind right now. It's a, we think it's a battle against those who don't see things the way we do or who don't agree with our views, whether that be religious views or political views or certainly the perspectives of, the, of what's happening in the world around us right now. Now, there are absolutely times where we do have to work with and deal with and, and solve problems between others, and we, we need to find ways to, to not offend and, and to, to be at peace with one another. But, but the heart of the battle, the real battle, is, is this physical, is this, sorry, spiritual, invisible one. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, we often make our primary battle to be against one another, when our primary enemy and our primary battle are these rulers and authorities and powers of the dark world, these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Pastor Layton said last week that he believed that this topic is not only relevant and timely, but also much needed for today. And I wholeheartedly agree with him. You see, over this past season, we hear more and more stories of those who are under spiritual attack and this spiritual weight that they've been carrying. Even after last week's message, several people came to us either in person or via email or other communication that, and express how they felt the weightiness of a spiritual battle in their lives. And I know even personally, many of the things that I've gone through personally the last many months, there's a significant spiritual component to them. Now, Pastor Layton asked us several questions to help us see if we too are engaged in this spiritual war. Now, I would actually say we are engaged in this spiritual war, but Pastor Layton uh, threw out a few questions that might help you understand how you're engaged in the spiritual war. Things like, are there broken relationships in your life? Is there a sin that seems to have a hold of you that you can't seem to shake? Do you have doubt regarding God's goodness? Do you doubt the truth and the reliability of God's word? Are there dark and destructive thoughts or the feeling of defeat, even though you know you're a child of God? Are you caught up in negative thinking patterns of self-hatred? Is there disunity between you and others? Splits in the church? Are, are you dealing with an addiction or even complacency about your faith? Now, if you didn't listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to do so. And Pastor Layton lays out these in, in a little more detail. It helps us to understand that we indeed are involved in this spiritual war. Now, as we continue, there's many things that we could talk about. But I think for this morning, our focus needs to be on and, and for our series, our focus needs to be on looking at the leader of these spiritual uh, dark forces, and that is the person of Satan himself. Now, if any of you have watched that movie from several years ago, The Hunt for Red October, you'll know it's a movie based on a story by Tom Clancy that revolves around two submarine captains, one American, one Russian, as well as the main character, Jack Ryan, who is a CIA analyst. The Russian, uh, the Russian submarine is, is a state-of-the-art submarine, and it's almost impossible to detect by sonar, making it extremely dangerous. It can sneak up on, on enemy territory and attack without warning. The American military leaders are unsure of the, of the intentions of the Russian uh, sub-commander by the name of Ramius, and so they're taking the approach of needing to hunt down and to destroy this submarine. Jack Ryan, the analyst who has 
next to no uh, battle or military fighting experience, is brought in because he has studied Captain Ramius extensively. He's even met him. It is his conclusion that Captain Ramius actually doesn't want to attack the U.S. Rather, he's trying to defect to the American side and then hand over this new technology to the Americans. Now, there's obviously disagreement about this. How can we be sure that this is what Ramius wants to do? Can we take the chance that he's going to do and allow him to, to kind of float, or not float, I guess, submarines underwater, um, but to allow him to come right into American territory and attack without warning? In a key moment of the movie, Jack Ryan is trying to make his case for uh, that, that Ramius actually wants to defect and not attack. And what he does then is um, Ramius has been performing these moves to uh, try to elude anybody, any submarines that might be following him. And so Ryan says, this is the move that he's going to make next. He says, well, how do you know that? That's because I know him. I understand him. I've studied him. I can predict him. I'm in his mind. I, I, I can understand what he's going to do. And sure enough, the submarine captain, Ramius, makes that move and it gives some, at least some assurance to the American side that Ryan knows what he's talking about. Eventually, at the end of the movie, Ryan is proven correct. And Ramius did defect and turn over this high-tech submarine to the Americans. Now, the point I'm making, trying to make in that story is this. Jack Ryan, this analyst, was able to accurately predict Ramius's moves and tactics and save the Russian captain, save this submarine, and, and avert World War III because he knew him well. He studied him. He understood his patterns and his behaviors, his mindset, his attitude. In this invisible war that we're all engaged with, we, like Jack Ryan, I believe we need to know our enemy. We need to know who it is we're fighting. We need to know his tendencies, his tactics, his character, his nature, so that we can not only be uh, successful in defending ourselves against his attack, but then we can also go on the attack ourselves. Knowing our enemy is the key to defeating our enemy. Sun Tzu, in his classic, The Art of War, said this, he said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but you don't know the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I want you to hold on to that thought because although we're going to focus this morning on knowing our enemy, as we move forward, especially as we get to, I'll mention this a little bit more in detail, our break-free weekend, we also need to know ourselves so that we can be truly successful in every battle. After Pastor Lane's message last week, our dear Helen Friesen, who's sitting right over here, sorry, I didn't ask you permission to share this story, but I, I hope easier to ask for forgiveness, right, than permission. <laughs> Helen, uh, Helen Friesen was chatting with uh, Leighton and I think Grace and myself and and as she was sharing an experience that she had had recently with an attack of Satan, something really stood out to me. Helen has grown in her understanding of how Satan works, and she expressed it this way. She said, you know, fairly recently, Satan planted a lie in my mind. A lie that, had this been a few years ago, would have led me to fear and anxiety and distraught and worry. But he said, that lie Satan tried to place in my mind again, well, placed in my mind again, I knew it was a lie. I recognized his tactics immediately. And so she rebuked that lie. And she was able to move forward with, with confidence and with hope and with victory. 
And that exactly reflects why it's so important for us to understand who we're fighting, understand our enemy. Our focus this morning will just take, to be take a few minutes to understand and get to know our enemy, Satan. And by doing so, I pray and trust that we'll be better equipped for this invisible war. Now, obviously we don't have time to do an exhaustive or even satisfactory examination of Satan. In fact, I'll say right up front that maybe the things that we discuss today will lead you to more questions and answers, but we can continue to explore this together as we move forward. So my objective for this morning is not to present a comprehensive message about Satan. Rather, it's to help us to realize three things. I'm going to focus on three areas. First, that Satan is real and to understand a little bit more where his origins are. Where did he come from? Second, to focus on the, his character and his nature. Talk a little bit about kind of uh, the essence of who he is. But thirdly, I also want to discuss his limitations. And I'll, you'll understand why as we get into this. Next week, this is actually going to be a multi-part message. Um, next week, Pastor Kelly is going to continue our discussion of Satan by focusing on his purposes and his tactics, which will be formed out of the things that we talk about today. And then the obvious question that comes up, which Pastor Layton is going to uh, address for us in two weeks, is, well, if Satan is all of these things and he's doing all of these things, why does God allow Satan to exist? There's actually very good reasons, and I, Pastor Layton will address that in a few weeks. A key passage that we'll be looking at or that I'll be kind of uh, anchoring our, our message on will be, is from 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Let me just read that for us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Here Peter writes, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So let's begin with my first point. Satan is real. Satan does exist. Now, I don't want to make assumptions about what you may have learned about Satan in the past, what you currently understand, or what you believe today about Satan in this invisible war. So I don't want to presume that everyone here, and presume that those who are listening online, believe that Satan is even real. That's not an assumption I think I should jump into. The main reason I want to start with this key point is because there is a school of thinking that denies the reality of Satan and so to, and to an extent denies the reality of demons at work in this world. They say that Satan is just a concept. It's an idea. The word thing that you might hear, he's the personification of evil, but he's not actually a being. Satan is seen as a legend, perhaps a myth or a character in, in, in story, uh, created to help us make more tangible the evil in this world and the evil acts that men have committed against one another th since the beginning of time. An older Barnapole from 2009 suggested that even within the church, so even within those who would identify themselves as Christ followers or Christian, this poll, again, a little bit older, 40% of self-described self -described Christians did not believe in the reality of Satan. And that 19% strongly agreed that Satan was not a living being, but actually a symbol of evil. So if you add those numbers together, 59 or let's say 60% of Christ followers at that time believed or strongly believed that Satan was just this idea, this symbol, this personification of evil. In that same survey, 
only 26% believe that Satan was an actual being. Now, I realize that since 2009, if you look at some uh, newer surveys, some of those numbers, uh, those numbers have adjusted. So those who believe in the reality of Satan has actually come up. Uh, uh, no, yeah, the, that the Satan is real have actually come up. Um, and so we, the stats are a little bit skewed. But still, if you, even if it's moved up to, say, 50% or moved down to 50%, there's still a significant number of believers who do not feel that Satan is, is, is real. Now, the fact is, Satan is real. And let me just draw our attention to two key proofs that Satan is indeed a real being. First, if we believe in the authority, the inspiration, and the reliability of Scripture, if we believe that it is God's revelation to us, then we must accept the fact that Satan is real. Satan didn't evolve over time as a concept or an idea or this personification of evil. He existed and acted right from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Perhaps the two best-known instances of Satan at work are found right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Not right at the beginning, but three chapters in. Satan chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, where Satan took on the form of a serpent and appeared before Adam and Eve and tempted them and actually uh, uh, led, that led to their sin. So that's the first instance we read of Satan at work, and that was an actual real, literal episode. The second, probably most common or most understood example of the reality of Satan was in the book of Job, where God allowed Satan then to do for uh, allowed Satan to do his work uh, on Job. Satan tried to try to um, force Job to sin, tried to make Job sin by removing what he had, by afflicting him, and so on and so forth. There are seven books in the Old Testament that teach of Satan's reality. In addition to that, every New Testament writer affirms his reality and activity. Which leads me to my next proof of the reality of Satan, and that is Jesus himself and Jesus' own teachings and interaction with Satan. There are 29 passages in the Gospels in which Satan is talked about, referred to, or taught about. 25 of those are words spoken by Jesus. So Jesus acknowledged Satan and taught on Satan. But if you go to Matthew chapter 4, we read a whole account of Jesus' own personal interaction with Satan as Satan brought Jesus, uh, met Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness, and tried, to get, and tried to tempt him to sin. Now, Satan fails, of course, but there's nothing to suggest that this interaction should not be taken literally. It wasn't some symbolic representation of the struggle between good and evil, or the struggle that maybe Jesus had in his own self between doing what he wanted to do or what he knew God wanted him to do. This is a very real battle between Jesus and Satan. So the first thing we must realize is that Satan is real. He's a real being. Second, what is the origin of Satan? Satan, first and foremost, is a created being. I'm going to get back to that point in just a moment. Now, we know all things were created by God. As I mentioned, the first record of Satan and his activity is found in Genesis chapter 3. So, so here's a little bit of the, the timeline we have to figure out. When Jesus spoke all things into creation, after each day between day 1 and day 5, he finished the day by saying, it is good. Then on day 6, when he created humankind, and because he created humankind in, in his image, we are all image bearers of Christ, he paused and he said, it is very good. So up until that point, everything that God had created was good and 
we as humans, we're very good. But then in Genesis 3, we see Satan in the form of, in the form of a serpent working against the purposes and the glory of God. So something happened between day 6 and Genesis chapter 3 in which Satan then turned against God and became not good, right? Well, the definition would be evil. Now, there's not a whole lot in Scripture to explain the origins and, and the fall of Satan, but Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 19, is probably our best passage to understand a little bit of Satan's history and background, his story. Now, there's some discussion regarding exactly what this passage is talking about because in its context, it's addressing the king of Tyre. But scholars all agree that this passage also speaks much broader than just to the circumstance of the day, but also speaks to this spiritual reality of who Satan is. Follow along as I read for us um, Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 19. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and, mountain, and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. But your many sins and dishonest trade, oh sorry, by your many sins and dishonest trade, you have dis desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Let me just draw out a, a couple points regarding Satan then that we can uh, glean from this passage. First, Satan was created, and he was created as an angelic being in the order of the cherub or the cherubim. And not only was he created as an angelic being, it seems here that he's described as almost like, like the pinnacle, the most beautiful and decorated of all the angels. Some commentators suggest that Satan was the epitome of God's creation. Donald Gray, in his book, coincidentally titled The Invisible War, says that he, referring to Satan, awoke in the first moment of his existence in the full-orbed beauty and power of his exalted position, surrounded by all the magnificence which God gave him. He saw himself as above all the hosts in power, wisdom, and beauty. Before his fall, he may have said, he, he may be said to have occupied the role of prime minister for God ruling possibly over the universe, but certainly over this world. So Satan is this created being, an angelic being of, of cherub, who is the magnificence of everything that God had created. 
But Satan's downfall came when he sinned. And because he sinned, he became the chief adversary and enemy of God and of us. Now, the specifics of this sin are alluded to in the Ezekiel passage, particularly in verse 17. But let me read a secondary passage, which, again, gives us a little more uh, light onto exactly what that sin was. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, read this way. It says, How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. It was a sin of pride that wanting to not only be like God, but actually wanting to be God that led to Satan's downfall. Satan wanted to have and exercise the authority and control in this world that rightfully and only belongs to God. His sin was a direct challenge to the power and the authority of God, much like our sin is. Another scholar put it this way, is that Satan's sin was all the more heinous because of the great privileges, intelligence, and position he had. His sin was more damaging because of the widespread effects of it. It affected other angels, who are now demons. It affected all people. It positioned him as the ruler of this world. It affects the nations of the world, for he works to deceive them. So ever since the, his fall, Satan, a very real being, has been at odds with God attempting to thwart the purposes of God and working to draw us as human beings, the treasure of God's creation, away from God. We are created in the image of God and it is now Satan's desire to draw us, image bearers of Christ, away from God. And that's his purpose. Satan longs for us to live our lives in the same selfish way that he does. Satan longs to draw us away from the love and the goodness and the peace and the hope and the joy that comes from a relationship with God through Christ. Whatever it is that God wants, Satan opposes. Whatever it is that God is trying to accomplish, Satan is, trying to work, is working against it. So the first thing we need to see is that Satan is real. And because of his sin, he works tirelessly against the purpose and the plans of God. That's our enemy. Don't be fooled into thinking he'll do anything good or anything that will lead you towards Christ, towards God, because he won't. Next, let's look at the character of Satan. Now, there's two ways we could examine this. And the first way is by going through Scripture and seeing the ways he acts, and we can get a, an understanding of his character. But the second way, and the way I'll do it this morning, because it saves us a, a significant amount of time, is by just looking at some of the names that he has given in Scripture uh, and actually, it's throughout the pages of Scripture. Unlike today, when our names are often chose based on um, popularity or preference or maybe some family history, uh, names in ancient times and certainly in biblical times were, were given based on their meanings. A name was given that usually would correspond to a character trait of that person or perhaps the circumstances in which that person was, was born. So I kind of went through some of our staff names. And I was kind of wondering if any of these names fit some of our staff members. So you, you, you can decide for yourself. So the, the name Leighton 
means from a town by the meadow. And I asked Pastor Layton in the first service, were you from a town by a meadow? And he just shrugged his shoulders. He wasn't sure. The name West means from the West Field. So I don't know if there's a link between this meadow and the West Field. Maybe there, there is something there. So I don't know. I don't think West is here today, is he? No, he's not. Okay, so we can, you can ask him, were you born uh, or did you come from a West Field? The name Chet is kind of considered a form of the name Chester, which means a fortress or camp. Chet had a pretty tight shirt on today, so I think uh, we would agree that probably is fairly fitting. <laughs> Kelly means bright-headed. Grace means a, a, few other th a few things, but it also means charm. Now we all know that fits, right? Oh, uh, yes, okay. <laughs> Tracy means warlike. No more comment. <laughs> Cal or Calvin means bald, which fortunately doesn't fit, at least not yet. Uh, Brian actually means high and noble, and that's another one I certainly would agree with. Anyway, we can glean a lot, at least from a scripture point of view, on the nature and character of Satan by the names that he has given, that he's been attributed to. And so as I read these names, start to paint a picture in your mind about the character and nature of this enemy that we're fighting. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, which I read for us, he is described as our adversary. In Revelation 12, the accuser. In Matthew 10, the name Prince of Demons is given to him. In Revelation 9, he's described as, or given the name of Destruction and Destroyer. In Revelation 20, Dragon. In Luke 10, Enemy. In Ephesians 6, the Evil One. Again, from 1 Peter 5, 8, a roaring lion prowling to, seek, uh, to devour destroy. In Revelation 12, the serpent. Jesus refers to Satan in John 8 as liar. We go back to the Garden of Eden, that first interaction of Satan with creation, uh, with humankind, I should say. It was lies, right, that he planted doubt and lies in the mind of Eve. Also in John 8, Jesus refers to Satan as murderer. In John 10, Jesus says that Satan is the thief who steals kills and destroys. And in Matthew 4, he's given the name tempter. Now, are you, are you painting this picture in your mind? Are you getting this image? And I don't want us to picture the, the cartoony type of image of Satan, you know, with the red horns and the, the forked tail and, and all of this. Uh, we don't really know physically what he might appear to be, but are you painting a picture of his character and his nature? Next week, Pastor Kelly, as I mentioned, is going to continue to help us paint this picture, fill in, maybe put some color to it, of Satan's character and nature when he, when he examines Satan's purposes and strategies, which come out of his character and nature, of course. So for today, let me just simply say it this way. Satan, his character and nature are the very antithesis of the character and nature of God. Is he everything that God is? Satan is the opposite. Everything that God does, Satan works for the opposite. Where God is love and gracious and merciful and generous, where he's righteous and he's holy, Satan is evil and deceitful and cunning and destructive and selfish. Ultimately, 
the epitome of sin. That's the character and nature of Satan. And he acts in, according, with, in accordance with his character and nature. And again, we'll look at this more next week. So my first conclusion this morning kind of comes out of the first two points. First, that Satan is real. He is powerful and his character is the opposite of everything God is. So my conclusion is this for us to just kind of to, to chew on. Satan is real. He has the power and the ability to tempt us, to deceive us, and to influence us away from God and to take us away from the things of God. You see, we must recognize that we are indeed in a battle, in an invisible war, and we cannot take lightly, nor can we take for granted our enemy. This is a battle we must take seriously, and this is an enemy we must take seriously. Don't underestimate Satan. That would be my, our first conclusion. However, we mustn't forget that while the things that we've just talked about today are certainly true about the things that Satan is, we, there are also many things we must recognize that Satan is not. And we must keep both sides in balance and perspective. And that's how I want us to close, and that's how I think we need to close our message this morning. Not with fear or intimidation or anxiety or worry about, oh, Satan's going to get me, Satan's going to get me. Or this hopelessness that can come over us when we recognize our enemy. Rather, we need to come into this battle with confidence and assurance and with victory. Because as influential and as powerful as Satan is, he is not God. He is not God. And those who live in relationship with God through Christ, those who understand and, and access the power of God through his Holy Spirit and live in the fullness of the identity of Jesus Christ, do not have to fear him, nor do we need to fear his tactics or his desire to work in our lives. Here are some of the things that Satan is not. And may this be of not only encouragement, but of strength and power for us. Satan is not the creator. He is the created, and therefore he is subject to the one who created him. God is the creator of all things, including Satan, and therefore he is far more powerful, and he is and will be victorious. God is the one who is writing out the story of the universe, and we know that in the end, he wins. Satan is not sovereign, Yes, he rules over a domain of demons. And while he, for now at least, has authority on earth, it is only within the bounds that God has given him. He does not have free reign and authority all over. He can only work within the boundaries that God has given him. And again, Pastor Layton is going to help us understand why God allows him to exist in a couple of weeks when we address that question. But know for now God, that Satan is not sovereign. Satan is also, he's not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. Satan is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not in, in, everywhere at all times. He can only be in one place at one time. He has limited power. He can't read our thoughts or, predict, or know the future. And yes, he has demons that are his eyes and ears and do his bidding all over the earth, so we still need to be careful what we say, you know, what, what we do. But he is not in all places at all times. 
Satan is not God. And because he is not God, he cannot have authority over God for sure, but he ni neither can he have authority over the lives of Christ followers unless we allow him, unless we give him permission to. God's power and authority extends over Satan, and that same power is available to those who claim Christ and follow Christ today. Satan is limited by God himself, but he's also limited by each believer, each of us, as we learn to claim the power of God through the Holy Spirit and live in the identity of Jesus Christ. Let me go back to a statement I just made, but give it to you as a spoiler. If you don't want to know the end of the story, just you can plug your ears now. Even though we are currently involved in this invisible war, even though there are times when we might experience fear and anxiety or we feel overwhelmed and defeated, even though there are occasions when uh, uncertainty grips us, in the end, God wins. And those who follow God will experience that victory as well. But that victory is not only someday in the future. That victory can be experienced right here, right now, today. We can live in that victory right now. That's why we've been mentioning this seminar that we'll be holding the weekend of February 11th and 12th. That's a Friday and Saturday. In which we will prayerfully experience the freedom and the victory and the power that comes from living in the power of God and the fullness of our identity as his children. This break-free weekend, we're going to go a little bit deeper into some of the teaching that we're presenting over the next few weeks. But more importantly, or most importantly, we're going to prayerfully and again experience the power of Jesus at work in our lives, freeing us from sin that might have a hold of us, from doors that we may have opened that allow Satan to influence us, from footholds or strongholds that he may have in our life, that feeling that, that we can't shake something, you know, that, that sin that kind of grips us at times, we can be free of that. And we can live victoriously with, with that power. And that weekend, prayerfully, we're going to come together as a, as a church family and we're going to guide uh, through God's word and we're going to practice some things that we hope will help us begin this journey toward true freedom. I strongly encourage you to not only mark this weekend in your calendar and plan to be a part of this, but even from today, be in prayer for this weekend. This is the kind of thing Satan hates because God wants to be at work in our lives. And so even now, as you remember in your prayer time, pray for us over the, the weeks that we're speaking on this as you uh, go through some of this yourself during the week and especially for that weekend as we long to, to experience the power of God in our lives and free us from the things that Satan longs to grip us with. Details will come and there'll be a registration process, but we'll get you that information in the coming weeks. Uh, Chet and the worship team, why don't you make your way up, uh, get ready to lead us in a closing song. To close, I just want to restate kind of these two main conclusions I have for us today. First, Satan is real. He's alive and he's active in our world, but also in our lives. He has a certain degree of power and influence that, that we, we cannot take lightly. We have to take our enemies seriously. We mustn't underestimate or take for granted that Satan is indeed at work. We need to be on guard and we need to be prepared to defend ourselves from his attack, but then also take the offensive against him. 
And that's because of who Satan is. However, because of who Satan is not, we need not fear Satan. We don't need to live in fear or defeat. We need not need to live in bondage and captivity of sin. Those who are in Christ, Christ followers, those who made that decision, who experience the joy of knowing him, can experience also the joy and freedom of the victorious life as we learn to live in the power of God and the fullness of our identity in Christ. Satan is real. Satan is powerful and he's evil. But we, through Jesus Christ, have the victory and we can live in victory. Amen? Amen. Say it like we mean it. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And I hope that we get passionate about this because that's the life that God longs for us to live. When Jesus came, he said, I came to give life and life in abundance. And that's what God wants us to experience. Just a reminder that as Pastor Chet and the team leads us in a closing song, we do have time and space set aside for us to minister to one another in prayer. And if you came this morning and there are specific things, health needs or relationship issues that you would like uh, someone to pray with and for you, please come forward and there'll be people on each side here that are, would love to, to just engage with you in prayer and, and support you and encourage you uh, the way a family does, right? But if you're here this morning and you're also been experiencing this, the weightiness of this spiritual battle, then I hope you're encouraged this morning that we can be free and we can live victoriously. So if that's a prayer that you would like uh, someone to pray together with you, or if you know people around you, you can turn to the people around you and do that well. You don't have to come up front. But let's just bring these things before the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for victory that comes through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that while we acknowledge this morning that Satan is indeed real and working in our lives, you are the victor. And Father, those who are in you can experience the fullness of joy in life, the fullness of abundance and peace and hope as we submit ourselves to you. And again, as we live in the fullness of who we are in Jesus. Father, guide us toward that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Layton mentioned last week that uh, the topic of Satan is not one that we preach about very often. And as I was chatting with somebody after first service in, in, after the first service in the foyer, they mentioned that, you know, there was a school of thinking that we don't talk about Satan because if we talk about him, we give him power. And I actually believe the exact opposite to be true. That when we bring to light the things of the darkness, we actually expose them and then we have, uh, we, we can understand who he is. So after today's message, I hope you're not discouraged or fearful or worried when we, when we talk about Satan. But rather, I hope we dwell on the fact that we have victory in Jesus Christ. That God has already done the work ahead of us. And that if we understand and live in the power and the identity of Christ, we can experience victory not only when he returns, but right here and right now. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you as we understand more who our enemy is. Remain standing as I close with the benediction. From Jude 24 and 25. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.
Well, thank you for being with us. Thank you for those who have joined us online. If you're not in a rush to go, I encourage you to stay and chat with those around you. If you know there are those that could use encouragement or prayer, take a little bit of time, not to run off to your lunch, but to spend some time with the family. Let's be a blessing to one another before we head off and kind of go our separate ways. But we look Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.